This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hello, welcome to the show. This is episode number 40, and tonight we will continue the conversation that we started in the last episode with Thermrider and discuss some, and certainly not all, of the hiking topics of 2016. But this time we will speak with the camel, and we will do it from a uh, different national park, the Great Smoky Mountains in North Carolina and Tennessee. Unlike the previous podcast, which covered the first three quarters of the year, this time we talk about some of the news events that went down in the last quarter of 2016. A forewarning, we do talk about guns and politics, which is uh, something we've generally avoided in previous discussions. And the camel is very passionate about both. If you want to hear more from the camel, he contributed to shows 4, 9, and number 24. You can stream them for free at N2 Backpacking or download them directly from the website. Your donation allows you to download older shows and uh, help support the podcast. I'd like to uh, call out that the Campbell's opinions are his alone, and his comments are in no way representative of Ventu backpacking. So that said, brace yourself, because it's quite a show. All right, this is Bird Shooter, and tonight on the show we have a long-time friend of Bird Shooter, the Camel, a veteran of many past podcasts and here tonight to help me talk about some of the exciting news events of 2016. Camel, welcome to the show. Hey, Bert. Thanks. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. Tonight we sit at the edge of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Um, we're going to do a do a big hike tomorrow. You want to, do you want to brief the audience on our, uh, our big excursion come morning? Yeah, plan is uh, it's the Klondike hike, the usual cold weather hike, the one we do each year. We're expecting, I believe, three inches of snow. We'll be up above five thousand feet on the ridge line. Decent hiking, camp on a bold. Could be a bit windy, but it is what it is, and uh, boys will be enjoying it. Yeah, and speaking of wind, I think they're calling for 30-mile-per-hour gusts and wind temperatures at zero degrees. Are you, are you sure you're up for this? I'm pretty much positive. You know, I think most people outside of the South would not figure the South for these kind of temperatures, but uh, this time of year at that kind of altitude, not that uncommon. Well, we're only, uh, what, 30 miles away from the highest mountain this side of the Mississippi? That's right, Mount Mitchell. Yep, a lot of people think it's up north in New England, Mount Washington, or something like that, but no, it's in North Carolina. Hey, thanks for setting them straight there, uh, Camel. Are you sure it's not in England? Uh, no, there's uh, molehills in England. <laughs> you would know for sure, my man. So, on the uh, show tonight, first topic of discussion is um, actually about a fellow podcasting company called uh, the Dirtbag Diaries. You've probably never heard the Dirtbag Diaries, right? No. You're not You're not actually, you don't listen to podcasts, do you? Usually too busy. <laughs> you just star in them. You don't listen to them. Is that what I'm understanding? Uh, yeah. That's true. You've probably never even listened to N2 Backpacking as a podcast, have you? No, I look at the emails. <laughs> That's all right. You know, you're old school. I respect that. So, um, anyway, Paul's Boots, which was released in October of this past year, and by the way, this podcast is going to focus on essentially some of the big news events from uh, October through the end of the year, 2016, but um, it had a lot of support from REI. It tells the story of an Australian man named Paul who dreamed of through-hiking the Appalachian Trail. Have have you dreamed of through-hiking the Appalachian Trail there, uh, Camel? Many times, many times. Yeah, you think? I mean, is it in your future? Um, unless they 
make some sort of really resilient plastic kneecaps. No. <laughs> so you're not feeling too confident in your uh, your knees. Uh, the, the mind is there. The lower body is not anymore. <laughs> you know, um, Camel, I will tell you that when I was uh, through hiking, this was in 1994, a number of years ago, I did meet an 80-year-old man. In, in Vermont. Now, granted, he had not finished the entire trail, but he made it to Vermont. He made it to uh, around Killington. If I'd have made it to Vermont, I would have done it on my hands and knees from there. <laughs> he was 80. I don't know if he finished because I never saw him again. But Yeah, I guarantee it. Just making it to Vermont? Got to give the man credit. If you make it that far, you're going all the way. Nah, he's got a few years on you, so there's still hope for you, my friend. Oh, well, oh thanks. Just a few? <laughs> So anyway, uh, you know, not to take a negative turn here, but unfortunately Paul, who is the the subject of Paul's boots, um, he had uh, devoted his his, uh, years in his 50s to essentially taking care of his parents. And I guess his parents had some health issues. Uh, And then when he turned 53, he decided that it was his time, that he was going to go do the Appalachian Trail. And do you want to take a wild guess at what happened to Paul? Kick the bucket. Yeah, unfortunately, he did kick the bucket. He had some heart issues, and he died um, right at the verge of him doing the trail. He was just getting ready to go. He would bought a bunch of his gear. And then in the midst of his grief, his wife had an idea as a final gift to her husband to reach out to uh, the Dirtbag Diaries, which is a, another podcast about hiking, and see if they could help rally a group of hikers to carry his hiking boots up the Appalachian Trail. There's only one thing about this. Do you have any idea what size hiking boots he wore? I heard they were rather large. <laughs> do, you, do you know specifically what size they were? Um, around 13. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you've got a pretty good size foot, right? What are you sporting? Uh, 11, 11 and a half. You think you could, so would you, uh, you think it'd work hiking in size height, 13 boots? No. Yeah, they're, they're actually some of the hikers, they, um, they tried to hike in his boots and I think they kind of tore the feet up. So they ended, most of them ended up carrying the boots, but the boots did make it 2,189 miles through 14 states. Have you heard anything about the movie? I haven't actually, no. Yeah, apparently it's, uh, I haven't seen it yet either, but it, apparently it's it's actually very good. Um, so that that was uh, that was in October of this year that I think it just came out. So certainly encourage you and the, re- or the listeners and myself as well to get out and see it. Yeah, I never heard of it. I, no promotions as far as I'm, I know anyway. Yeah, Paul's Boots, name of the movie. Uh, so moving on. We are in the south right now and about to hike in the Smokies where there was some uh, pretty serious forest fires, right? Just uh, oh, yeah. just in November here. And most of them happened right after Thanksgiving. Um, I suppose you heard there were two teenagers. They were arrested for setting fires intentionally in the Smokies. Um, unfortunately, 14 people were killed and uh, there were over 200 injured. Um, the mayor of the the county in in the area estimates that the damage was around 500 million and the federal government says that nearly 20,000 acres of the national park have been scorched so an area that we're about to go through tomorrow we're going to hike the North Carolina side this was the just Tennessee yeah this was the Tennessee side um Gatlinburg there, was de- decimated right yeah it was just on the other side of Newfound Gap so um uh, around kind of the sort of halfway down the back side of the mountain and then Gatlinburg did get hit there were 2400 houses and businesses that uh, were destroyed and uh, supposedly if these two people get convicted they could actually go to prison for about 60 years well if your whole life has been burnt and gone up in smoke because of the stupidity of someone like that what do you think? Well, let me, I mean, so this is a great topic. They're under 18. They're teenagers. 
Yeah, I mean, we've all done stupid things as teenagers, right? So let's let's say you're playing with matches. You, I don't think you have any idea that playing with matches could result in the death of 14 people. I mean, yeah, what, what, let, let's face it. It's not like you're four years old and you don't know what a match does. You know exactly at 18 years of age what starting a fire does. It's it's just like you know exactly like picking up a gun, what's going to happen if you fire it. So with that analogy, it's like you you've just killed fourteen people. What what's the you, right punishment? I guess is the question. They haven't gone to trial yet, and I've also heard that it's uh, very difficult to convict on arson, not not necessarily on a building, but in the woods. In a building, you have a little bit more of a footprint of the fire, right? Yeah, you you can see what the accelerant is. Yeah, so you know, so what I've read is that uh, proving that they intended to do it is is not as easy as you would think. But let, let's say that they prove that they are at fault. What what is the what is the right punishment? I I pretty much throw away the key, basically. Yeah, we'll we'll find out. I mean, they haven't gone to trial. Twenty five hundred people's homes belongings. Lives, everything they've owned, gone. Like I say, it's not like you're four years old. Well, there, there's obviously a lot of very angry people, and uh, you know it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. It's it's not done yet. In some countries, you your crimes are decided. Your punishment is decided by the people who you've done the crime to. <clears throat> And I can, uh, I can only imagine what would happen to them. Well, they're going to get a trial here in in the uh, probably in the state of North Carolina, so it will be trial by peers. Yeah. So on that topic, Raj, fires have raged in the South, not just in the Smokies, which more recently we were about to hike, but also we had historic drought the entire fall. Um, Hundred nineteen thousand acres have burned, which is. Just, not uncommon for maybe some of the western states, but very unusual for us here in the south, right? Um, we had eight southeastern states that were affected this year. More than 6,300 firefighters came to the south from as far away as Alaska to fight some of these fires. So uh, major damage. Some areas that you're probably more familiar with, the Cohutus, we've hiked there. Yeah. 27,000 acres were burned there on the Appalachian Trail. Western North Carolina, where we've done a fair amount of hiking and backpacking. From there, all the way down to Rock Gap, which is near Franklin, again, near Siler Bald, where we've hiked. Also, uh, completely closed because of fires. And um, essentially, a lot of these areas are starting to um, recover. But, uh, you know, any thoughts on the, the whole fire outbreak in the, in the south this year? Well, it's natural, for one thing. Uh, is it suppressed it, like in California where they really screwed up? Is the fire suppressed or do they let natural burns go? Well, that, that's a good point because in California this year they had a major fire, the Big Sur, which was like 132,000 acres. Because they, in years gone by they suppressed and suppressed. And so all the undergrowth built up that it came to a point where once it went there was no stopping it. And it's it's nature, it's nature's way of rejuvenating. As soon as a fire goes through, all the seedlings hatch, and it's 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 greener than ever. So I was just wondering if some parts of that were suppressed. It, it's it's a natural thing. Pine trees drop their cones after a burn because the ground's cleared and they 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 can take seed. It's, it's it's a natural thing. Well, so I was with you over New Year's, and we were going to go do a hike in the Cohutta, right? And yeah. We were going to explore um, a, a major burn section, and it, it looked to me like the fire was held at the Forest Road line. Yeah. They basically, you know, that was where they tried it's to stop the fire it. line. Yeah. Yeah, and they let it burn all the way up there. So, but I, I don't know if that was because they let it burn, if that was just a good place to hold it. Yeah. But a lot of stuff, I mean, you, you've got to let it burn. You you let it burn when there's a little bit of growth and everything's okay. It gets near a house. 
you can put it out. But if you suppress it for 10, 15 years, when it goes... It's going to go big. You, you're just not going to stop it. Yeah, and we, we actually tried to hike some of the the fire areas in the Smokies on this trip, but yeah. a lot of those trails are still closed, and I think yeah. it's because the the trees are burned and they're kind of hanging. They're afraid someone's going to get knocked, you know. Yeah, but it's... Down you just let... You've got to na- let nature take its course because... Sooner or later, it will. It'll bite you. And it did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've had a very dry fall here in the south. But, uh, you know, lately we've had a lot of rain. So, you know, it's probably, yeah. we're probably done. But uh, anyway, it'll be interesting to see because we do a lot of hiking in the south. And it'll be interesting to explore those areas going forward, right? Yeah. So uh, next topic there, uh, Roger, your favorite politician, Hillary Clinton. Did you hear she went hiking recently? Fat sow. <laughs> Easy there now, man. Are you uh now you're an Englishman. So Roger, I'm guessing that uh you're uh are you eligible to vote in the United States? Actually, um I'm gonna go I've been here twenty years and still on a green card because I just got lazy, but uh I will uh, get my citizenship I will start it next year. So, so you've not voted in a presidential election yet? Nah, I don't even vote in the English one either. Oh, okay. Well, all right. I've never bothered. But well, you do have a political opinion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, here's where I'm going with the whole thing there, Raj. Um, uh, there, there was a, a lady that was hiking near White Plains, New York, a young lady, and she had her dog and 13-month-old daughter with her. And uh, you'll never guess in a million years who she ran into while she was on the trail. I already know, and it's less than a million years. <laughs> who, who who might that be? Billary. Uh, well, you're right. It actually that was the correct answer because it wasn't just Hillary; it was uh, also Bill Clinton as well. And uh, they uh, they got a picture with uh, Hillary. And I think it was right after the election, like literally maybe maybe a couple days after the election, she said that uh, the, the lady, I guess her name was Margaret Herster, she flashed a huge, awkward, grinning smile at Clinton and told Clinton how proud she was to have voted for her and said that uh, Hillary was extremely nice and uh, very kind and very gracious. So whether you like Hillary or not there, Raj, you have to respect the fact that she put a lot of time and energy into her campaign and that she uh, probably, after losing the election, found some sense of relief and peace and, uh, I guess, sanctuary and heading out into the woods, you know? I'm absolutely surprised. (laughs) What do you mean? You don't find peace and sanctuary out in the woods? Oh, I do. Ah, I'm, I'm just surprised that she was able to waddle up there. <laughs> Sorry, man. You don't sound like a friend, a fan of Hillary. You think she hikes regularly? Uh, what do you think? <laughs> Maybe we should move on. Okay, so moving on. Um, we're going to go to maybe something a little more dismal here. So uh, there was a, a woman in... California. It was near Redding. You've lived in California, but yeah. um, I, th- I would imagine you probably heard this. This happened off Interstate Five, uh, up near Shasta County, north Northern California, right? But uh, she was uh, a mother of two, was abducted while jogging on November second, and she was running the trail. She was around Mount Shasta in Northern California. Um, she basically went missing for three weeks. And then showed up. She'd been beaten, tortured, uh, actually, if you can believe it, branded. And, I heard about this. Yeah, yeah. And you know, local law enforcement, you know, there's some debate that they were maybe trying to sell her into sex slavery or something like that. But um, a- anyway, uh, a lot of this just came to light right right at the end of the year. Um, I, I, I mean, it's kind of frightening. I guess the question would be, any thoughts for just what you can do to make yourself safer on the on the trail when you're out there? Don't go alone. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I would, we actually talked about this with Thermrider on a 
previous podcast, but um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you don't hike alone. You you can get a sixth sense if something's up, don't you feel? You always know. Don't you, the hairs hairs ever stick up on the back of your neck, or you just feel uneasy at times if some if the situation's not right. I mean, it's scary any way you look at it, but um, I mean. I, I mean, I guess she wasn't too far for the roads. So we we talked about this on the previous podcast, but you know, number one, the closer you are to a road, the more dangerous the situation potentially can be, right? Or, or it could be your savior if someone in the woods is trying to get you. The closer to the road you are, the safer you might be for help. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Well, maybe I should ask this question: Have you ever had a frightening moment on the trail? No, because I pack, mm. and I'll shoot your ass. <laughs> Wait, so that's interesting as an Englishman. Um, now, you can't have handguns in uh, Europe, correct? You couldn't in England, but now, since the Channel Tunnel and all the immigration, there's all sorts of firearms and crap going in there. Before, it was nice and peaceful, but not anymore. Yeah, but those are illegal firearms, yeah. all right? So, I mean, that's a great... You know, you're, you're in a unique position to comment on guns. What what, uh, what What is your attitude on, first of all, guns on the trail, and then guns in America? Um, first of all, where I come from, there was no guns. So, you were pretty safe. The worst thing you could come up against was someone with a knife or a stick so you know that sounds like being on the trail because that's about normally what you just run into but now in England everything has gone south you've got all the everyone flooding in there and with the channel everything goes in there so England is not like it was when I grew up it's a bad place compared to what it was but here, there's always been guns since I've been here, and uh, I'm a gun owner. But I don't go around threatening, shooting, or carrying it for the most part, but I take one in my backpack. Because, basically, if you're out there and you're messed with in the middle of nowhere, you've got no help. So you better be able to defend yourself. And I have never, ever had to draw that gun in anger. But it is in my backpack. And my friends know it's there. So when we're camping, we feel pretty damn safe. So do you have a concealed permit? Yeah, I do, actually. And they're required, right? Well... I think they legally are required. Well, they're legally required, but who's going to check check on my concealed permit in the middle of the woods? The na- I think national parks now allow guns, right? If you're... Uh... Uh, well, all federal land, you're allowed to carry firearms on. You don't have to have it concealed. I, I could put it in a gun belt on my side, but... Yeah, I mean, I think I think the rules obviously vary depending on where you are. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you needed it? I felt in a situation I was really glad I had it. <laughs> Remember when we were up uh, by Rome Mountain, when we were at the cabin, and we heard those four-wheelers coming up? Oh, yeah, that's right. I do remember that. Right. And they're like, what are you doing in our place? What's going on in there? Yeah. I totally forgot about that. You're right. So, uh, you know, just a question, just to kind of play devil's advocate here. I mean, what about just having a nice, good, hearty case of mace versus carrying a weapon? I mean, the reason I would suggest that is because maybe it's less likely to accidentally go off in your pack and pop you in the back and cause you more harm. Because, you know, chances are you're never going to need that weapon in the backcountry, right? And it's heavy. So compare and contrast carrying a gun with a can of mace well firstly it's an automatic and it's never chambered 
so you could use it as a hammer if you want and nothing's going to ever go off because there's nothing in the barrel you actually physically have to chamber around for it before you can even pull the trigger so it's never ever going to go off okay that's fair and you got a safety on there too yeah which but a mace is what 10 feet you're not, you don't look like you're feeling very confident with Mace here. No. <laughs> well, so as an Englishman, though, you grew up in a country where handguns were illegal, correct? Yeah. Um, so you grew up in a system where there's not handguns everywhere. I mean, how do you feel about the American system where you can pretty readily not only buy a gun, but carry it concealed? I mean... Well, um, it is what it is. It's like... There are bad guys that you can readily get a gun. So, bad guys have guns. So, if a bad guy comes in and you don't have a gun, what are you going to do? Is this the only outlaws carry guns? If you outlaw guns, only outlaws carry guns? Pretty much. I mean, let's face it, it's like all you're doing is depriving law abiding citizens of a right of self defense. Because let's face it, you outlaw a gun, you're a criminal. You don't care what they do. You're still going to carry it, aren't you? You're a criminal. So a question for you on England. I mean, what's the right solution for England right now? They haven't legalized handguns, right? Why do you think that is, just out of curiosity? There is a minute amount of guns in there. Hmm. You you can't legalize they're just with the bad few and it's all because of the channel tunnel basically when there was ferries and that they, they, it's like the airlines they went through customs no one would try even to get a gun in but now you just drive through that tunnel on the train you never checked they're, everything's going in there it's just when we went into Europe the bottom fell out. It did. So should England legalize handguns? No. Now, but you're okay with handguns? Th- there are no gun shops in England. There are no nothing. The only ones you'll see very rarely with guns is the police. It, it's not like here where, where, where the, they're everywhere. But I'm saying the, the criminal element is bringing them in. It's not like here where everyone's got a handgun. Hmm. It's totally different. So how, how do you feel about the American system of handguns? Well, I would say, what else can you do? Hmm. Good or bad, though? It's debatable. It's, you know, I'm a gun owner. And I'm responsible. I, You know, I've... I don't walk around with a gun. I don't carry a gun for the most part. The only time I do is when I'm backpacking. Like I say, because you're out there and if anything happens, no one's going to come and help you. So that's why I take it. It's in there and it's never been taken out, but it is there. But uh, as on the street and that, I don't generally put myself in a position where I would need one. I don't go into places where I shouldn't be. I don't do drugs. I don't do that kind of stuff. So, uh, generally, my gun just hangs on my bedpost. If my alarm goes off, that's about the only time it's going to get drawn. And don't come in my house. (laughs) So what percentage of the time where you're backpacking do you have a, a weapon? 100%. 100%. And and you've needed it how many times? Zero. Okay. I'm just asking. Just curious. It's the one time you don't take it. Fair enough. But I've never drawn it, and no one even knows it's there. Well, you do, but... So, to get back to the original discussion, and I think this was... Actually, this is a good discussion to have, right? Because, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's one that is debated and discussed, and there's a lot of passion on both sides. 
if you get a couple of hillbillies come out in the middle of nowhere and start messing with you, you could get shot in the wilderness and they could throw you down into a gully and you would never be found. You need a means of defending yourself. I'm not that bothered about bears and that. You can, you know, make a ruckus and get rid of bears and that, but I'm, I'm not bothered about the wildlife. I'm more bothered about the human life. You know, there's a lot of people that would argue with you that, um, or argue in agreement with you, that your real danger out there is not wildlife, it's it's human life, right? Yeah. So let me get back to the original topic of discussion, and that was this woman who went trail running, and she was trail running near Mount Shasta. Now, if you're running, you're probably not going to carry a weapon because it's heavy. And if you're backpacking, you may also choose to not carry a weapon because it's heavy, right? So how, how do you protect yourself? You can get a slim 9 or 380 with like a 4 or 5 shot that <laughs> weighs freaking nothing and you can't even see it. That's funny. So you're, you're still going back to weapons. I love the fact that the guy that grew up not allowed to have a handgun is dying to have a handgun here. <laughs> I, I gotta laugh. I'm sorry. No, I mean, you're trial running. You're usually ca- you, you're probably carrying a bottle of water or something. Yeah. Well, you've got something that's weighing like a quarter of the weight of a bottle of water that you can have. Ooh. Interesting. That's a good point. Okay. Are they not wieldy? You're not... It's not like in a holster flapping around... You have a thing that that slips on your hip. Mm-hmm. It literally. I've got one that that just like slips in and it's the contour of your hip. You don't even know it's there, and it's a single stack. The bullets aren't like they're there in little single stacks. They're super thin. You don't even know it's there. You know, my wife runs every morning, and I, I promise you. Not only would she feel uncomfortable carrying a gun, she wouldn't have any idea to what to do with it, right? So uh, that's why you go and fire one. Yeah. No, interesting. I mean, you know, heavily debated topic. Very interesting to get your perspective because. You, you would be surprised because you know Lura. Ah, uh, yes. I took Lura shooting and she was like a. took a dog to water. I took her in there after she cracked a few rounds off. That woman got that gun and she was cracking them off like crazy. You would be surprised. No, I'm not surprised, actually. I'm not surprised. But they were all groin shots. <laughs> <laughs> women women go for the job. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I'm like a little high and she's like, no, that's that's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Make you think twice about yeah. making her angry. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. So, um, so Raj, we'll move on and talk about something uh, something more in the survival mode of a woman that had to eat twigs and uh, basically do a 26-mile hike and drink her pee to uh, survive. And this happened at the very end of, of 2016, um, right after Christmas. Well, was she? She was in the Grand Canyon, which is where Fuller and I... Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, Fuller no and water. I just hiked uh, two weeks ago. Um. But anyway, her name was Karen Klein. She was vacationing with her husband and her 10-year-old son. And they apparently had a rental car, and it got stuck in a ditch along a a, a very snowy road. Um, They were uh, apparently in a situation where they couldn't get the car out. Uh, She was a, a marathon runner. She was a triathlete and apparently was in better shape than her husband. Now, does that sound familiar? In your case, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife could literally run circles around me. But um, so she was the one that was chosen to go out and seek hype, or excuse me, she was the one that was chosen to go out and seek help. So why? So they were on a road that they were convinced that no one else was going to go along. You know, I don't have details on that. I just know that they uh, got stuck. And that apparently her husband was uh, physically not nearly as fit, which sounds very familiar. <laughs> it, there's all sorts of, I don't know, 
it's like you either got really, really lost and you were up a, a road that you had no business of being up, so you had to, or you should have stayed, if, if it was a road travelled, you should have stayed put and someone would have come along anyway. And I, what about cell phone service? I'm not sure how heavily traveled it was. She she didn't have a lot of clothing. She set out on a uh, uh, on the road with just a parka, a knit cap, and hiking boots. She had no snow gear, and she um, basically over a 24 hour period hiked those 26 miles. I guess there was snow that was up to three feet high, so she probably was in an area that. Um, that uh, the I mean it, it wasn't easy for her to be rescued, but she found her way to a abandoned cabin right as a major storm was bearing down on the uh, the area, and um, you know it was basically kind of dubbed a Christmas miracle. But um, I get I, I think the thing that's interesting is her husband and the son were found before she was. That is my exact. That that's where I was going. It's like when when you're up and someone knows, you know it. When you go up there, and it's like, okay, dear, I'm going camping. We're going blah blah blah. If you if something happens and you don't come back, then you know they know where you are. But if you start trying to bust out when it's terrible, what's going to happen? Well, I mean, that was one of the things I was going to say, was that one of the things they tell you initially, if you're lost, is to stay put and let people try to find you, right? And then at a certain point that you, um, you know, you've got to help yourself, right? When it's clear you're not going to get help from outside. But um, you think that she made the right call, or you think she's just should have stayed put? She should have stayed put for a while. Huh. Well, obviously, because they found the car before they found her. Yeah, have you ever hiked in more than a foot of snow before? Yeah. Uh, what was your experience uh, there? It's it's freaking heavy going. It's hard, man. Right? Um, how desperate would you have to be to drink your own pee or eat eat twigs? Now she had some survival training, so she definitely knew what she was doing. But um, I've always heard pee dehydrates you, though. Well, I mean, if I was in the desert, I'd be drinking my pee. But if I was in snow, I wouldn't be drinking my pee. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure why that happened. Maybe, I don't know, maybe she couldn't melt it uh, fast enough. Um, would, would you, here's a better question. If you had a girlfriend or a wife, would you let her venture out into the woods without, um, I don't know, how would you feel about letting her go? She, uh, obviously, she was the alpha in the party. Who probably has more body fat, me or my wife or you or any girl you've ever dated? Um, women have more body fat than males. They will. Um, they did a thing with the Donna party. Um, the women of the Donna party should have gone for help, not the males, because they that they, they women have more fat, and the. They would have actually survived and made it out. Huh. Whereas okay. the males wouldn't have. We're muscle. Oh, okay. All right. That's fair. But I'm feeling like I got a pretty good. Yeah, I mean. I'm well, pretty feeling like I got yeah, a pretty good tire. Most males, apart from us, are pure muscle, you know. But, but basically, like that. But women have a lot of fat. And as they starve, like your breast would sink, it's all fat. Mm hmm. All, 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 all women's breasts are is fat. Well, all, all the hips and, and everything like that is fat for uh, childbearing and, and, and like rearing. So when you go through, you'll, you'll just slowly lose your fat. Well, they, they, they would have made it through. The wrong people went. Well, they, they say women are tougher than men too, actually. When you get down to hardcore survival situations, I've yeah. heard. But, but that honestly, women. that is what, I mean... In, in 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 the in the way it is, it's like, well, I'm I'm the male. I'm going to have to go and do this, and it's like, you know, if you'd have sent the the woman out and she'd have died, it's like all the newspapers have been like, he sent his wife out. 
He sat there and did nothing and sent his wife out for help. You know, it's like, it's like basically you can't do that. But in actual fact, if if your wife is as fit as you are, your wife has a better chance of getting there than you do because of her fat reserves. But but the way everything is perceived, it's like, well, you know, the male's got to go because, you know, he's big, strong, and this and that. But it's like, actually, the woman would make it. <laughs> Let's be honest. Who's in better physical shape, me or my wife? Believe me. If I was there with a broken leg and it was you and your wife and it's like... We got a chance. It's like twenty miles away, but it's like if we don't get help, you're gonna like die in in like twenty hours. It's like Ashley, please get me help. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank thanks for throwing me under the bus on that one. Steve, I appreciate it's it. Like, what can I say? <laughs> That's classic. That's awesome. All right, so we'll move on here after that ex- interesting uh, exchange. Um, Danner Boots. Are you familiar with Danner Boots? Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, you know who's a big fan of Danner Boots that we're hiking this weekend with in the Smokies? The myth, the legend, the ox. He He's a big fan of the, of the Danner Boot. He's literally, I swear to God, well, first of all, can you, well, com- I, I, can I, you count, comment on his vintage backpacking attire? Well, I was just... I. I didn't he? Those things are so old. I thought he got them off Sir Edmund Hillary or something. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Sir Edmund Hillary? Oh, oh, sir. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. The oh, famous climber. Yeah, I thought Thank they you. were old climbing boots from the 50s or something. That's funny. Yeah, he. Um, I think he probably bought them in like 1982. From someone who bought them in, like, 1950. Yeah, I mean, he has worn them religiously for as long as I know him. Do you want to comment? No, actually, this is a good time to take a little segue here and talk about his love for antique gear. He he looks... I mean, you you could put him in one of those... Superimpose him in one of those old Everest photos there with his backpack and shirt and boots... You know, and the, he wouldn't look out of place. The only reason he got rid of his like 1980s backpack, frame pack, Jansport, I believe, was because he got too fat that he could not literally get the uh, hip belt to go around him, right? And and I'm just trying to think of some of the other classic gear that he's had that he just can't let go. It's like, if only you know, it's like everything is like half the weight now. <laughs> but he he just refuses to give up his classic gear. Is that fair? It. He won't do it. No, you're right. That's true. But anyway, he's got a pair of Danner boots. I wish he were here to talk about them. And I'm sure he would probably wear them on the uh, trail this weekend. But I think he finally retired them like a couple he years did? ago. Yeah. But the reason I bring this up is Bill Danner, he was um, essentially a struggling bootmaker. And uh, transformed the industry, actually, for the United States anyway, and, um, you know, probably different internationally. He was one of the country's most respected outdoor footwear brands for many years. He just died this past year on December 24th, right before Christmas. He was 97 years old. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. Um, But anyway, the company, they made a statement. Apparently, uh, Danner and his brother had bought a shoe manufacturing company in Portland, and it only had six employees at the time. He had just returned from um, service in the military in 1945. The company was deeply in debt, and uh, the brothers were able to essentially bring this company back and make it a very profitable with the product in line that included these heavy kind of uh, specialized boots for hunters and um, hikers and smoke jumpers. And... Um, his brother left in the 50s to pursue a career in law. But in the 60s, uh, the boot took off. They created a mountain light boot, and it was featured in Backpacker magazine. Are you a subscriber, by the way? Or, uh... No, I just get yours. <laughs> you just get me the hand-me-downs. But they called it the Ideal Hiking Boot in 1973 when it first came out. And the uh, the 
company's sales soared. And there was a movie that came out recently in 2014, I'll let you guess the name, where the boot was featured. 2014? That wouldn't be the uh, Alaska, what's it one? Oh, the one you were in? Not not that one. It was the one featuring a Reese Witherspoon, actually. Oh. Which one was that? The movie Wild. Have you seen it? About oh, the- hell no. You know, I watch the Weather Channel and <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> it's it's about the Pacific Crest Trail, but uh, it was featured in there. Oh, it's, uh, I thought it was in the one you went in. No, no that was not the one. But um, But anyway, unfortunately... He uh, passed this past year, Bill Danner. So uh, rest in peace. I'll drink to Bill Danner. Yeah. If I can make 97, I'll be doing cartwheels. Well, not at 97, but if you tell me now, I'll be doing (laughs) doing a cartwheel. That sounds good. So, Roger, I would love to have the camel discuss one of your favorite topics the now former president of the United States, Barack Obama. Do you know what one of the fine things he did to close his presidency out? He actually passed legislation to protect 1.65 million acres, including Native American archaeological sites and some uh, sacred areas, uh, in the Bear Ears and Gold Butte National Monuments. The bigger of the two... Big, which is called barriers, is a 135 million acre uh, area with steep canyons, very towering sandstone buttes. Where is that, Montana or North Dakota? or? It's in Utah. Utah? Yeah. Oh, awesome. And then he worked with five tribes, the Navajo, the Hopi, the Zuni, the Ute Mountain, and the Unitah tribes to take a 250,000-acre uh, archaeological site that had some qu- cliff dwellings, some rock art, some uh, burial grounds, and create a park there. Well, actually, technically a national monument. So do you feel differently now? Obviously. <laughs> Jeez. Wow, no mercy here. Okay, um, let me try harder. So you would be happy to hear, Camel, that the Utah Republicans were furious. And uh, apparently that includes the governor of Utah, Gary Herbert, who said that the president's action was not a solution. Um, And uh, I guess technically would agree with you. Um, I think he was trying to argue that basically there was a way to circumvent the people, that uh, it was a way to circumvent Congress, you know, Anyway, not to get heavily political here, but um, so a question for you. Uh, This is all about national monument land, not national park land. Do you know the difference between the two? Evidently not. So to be specific, a national monument in the United States is a protected area. It's similar to a national park, but it can be created from any land owned or controlled by the federal government by the proclamation of the President of the United States, which is what happened here. National monuments can be managed by uh, the Park Service, the Forest Service, Fish and Wildlife, or the Bureau of Land Management, which is known as BLM. Um, National monuments. I'll throw a few at you that are my personal favorites that hopefully you've explored. The Aztec Ruins, the Devil's Tower, White Sands yeah. National Monument, which is phenomenal. Yeah. Mount Mount St. Helens, right? Um, have you had a chance to explore any of these sites before? Yeah, I've been I've been uh, White White Sands, I've been Devil's Thumb. What was the other one? Uh, well, Devil's Tower oh. was the one that I mentioned. But can you? I mean, I guarantee you've seen this movie. Can you name the 1970s movie that was filmed at Devil's Tower? Yeah, that was the. Uh, What's it with E.T. and that, was it? You're on the right track. It involved, uh, it involved extraterrestrials, extraterrestrials, but that was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. 
that was a 1977 movie that used Devil's Tower actually was the yeah. kind of formation of their entire plot but um, so do you feel differently about President Obama now oh. for, for passing these uh, protection laws for all these acres 1.65 million acres by the way why didn't he do it before this I don't know. You should ask him. That's a good question. But he just did, like right at the end of his presidency. Just like pardoned numerous murderers, <laughs> traitors. Trying, trying to stay on a positive note here, Raj. Um, interesting. Wow. It's been a pleasure having you on the show there, uh, Raj. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Steve. We'll do it again sometime. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening to the Into Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from intobackpacking.com. Just click the Podcast tab on the main menu. Music for this show was provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at N2Backpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com. <laughs>